what does it look like? How did Job actually approach God? What did he do? All these kinds of things. Because I think sometimes when we suffer physically, sometimes we have to ask God why. We have to wonder in our own minds. Even if we don't verbalize it and put it out there, sometimes we ask God in our mind, God, why is this happening to me? Why am I struggling like this? And God kind of answers that question to Job. But really, tonight, I don't even want to get into the answer to the question that he gives to Job. I just want to look at what Job did and and how Job responded. Um, Because I think that's so very important to to the message of Job, um, because, I mean, that is really indicative of Job there. I mean, just an insurmountable mountain to climb in his life. I'm going to summarize the first part of Job, and then we're going to read a little bit, and then I'll probably summarize some more, and then we'll read a little bit more, because there's quite a bit in the first two chapters of Job. But basically what's happened here is Satan has been going around the earth, and he has been looking and looking at people and examining them, and he, he goes to God and says, hey, let me look at... Let's look at this guy, Job, that you've got. He seems to be a very righteous man. Let's see if he's truly righteous. Let's see if we take away everything that he's got and take away all of his blessings if he still loves you, right? If he still trusts who you are, if he still trusts the fact that you are God. Um, And and God, I mean, it's this whole interaction. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, and there's this whole interaction between God and Satan about whether or not, or how Job will respond to these challenges that are put into his life. So... It says in Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, it says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home, Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing, your donkeys were feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed, the, killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So here we see, first of all, that Job is a decently wealthy man, that he has got farmhands, that he has got livestock, and he says that, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it says he has all this stuff, and yet <clears throat> they have had these raiders that have come in to take them all, and they've killed the animals, and they've killed the farmhands. <clears throat> it's not going away, is it? I'll be okay. Give me a minute. If I do that for the next 20 minutes, don't be distracted by it, Okay. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and your shepherds, and and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Now, whoever these guys are that are able to come back and tell him this stuff, man, these are some fortunate guys. The fire has fallen down from heaven, and they're the only ones that escaped to tell us. Uh, So he goes on, and he says, While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with news. Three bands of Chaldeans, raiders, have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's home. Suddenly there was a powerful wind a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all the children are dead. All your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, then shaved his head and fell on the ground to worship. He said... I came naked from my mother's womb. I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. So what is going on here? One of the things that, that people say, well, Satan, Satan did all this stuff to Job. Um, God had to allow Satan to be able to do anything. 
You have to understand that, that nothing happens outside the sovereign hand of God. Sometimes we have junk that happens in our life, and we're like, oh, the, devil, the devil's trying to get me. You know, the devil did this, the devil did that. In reality, we should think and we should pause. Yes, indeed, Satan is like a, a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And yes, there are things that come against us, but you have to understand that God is completely in control. And just because you endure something doesn't mean that it's Satan. It could very well be, be that God is allowing this to happen in your life for the purpose of maybe you seeing just how blessed you are. Even in this situation, Job has had a lot of stuff, right? He was a very wealthy man. He was blessed with a lot of children. That's a great thing. You know, he's got a big family and he's... He's enjoying life, and he's got livestock, and he's got, he, he's got farm hands, and he's got all this stuff, right? Well, Satan comes in and says, well, the only reason that, that Job really loves you is because you have blessed him so richly, and that's the reason. Well, we see, obviously, the first thing we see in, in Job is that when he recognizes that this has happened, when he sees this, he doesn't go and say, well, Satan did this to me, the devil did this to me. What does he say? He says, God has given and God has taken away. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be his name. He is suffering greatly. And, and so many times we want to be able to point fingers at this or that. or Even in the Old Testament, many times they wanted to point to a person's sin or maybe uh, their, their parents' sin. And that's the reason that they're suffering greatly as a result of this or as a result of that. Here, Job is, is one of the most blameless men. He, he, is, he is one of these men that if his kids, uh, it says this in the first chapter too, if his kids were having a party, Job would go to the Lord the next day to pray for them, to pray for any sins that they might have committed in that party the night before. That's how committed he was to serving the Lord and being close to the Lord. He even prayed for his kids and tried to, tried to say, God, I, I understand that how my, my children are, and I know what they're prone to do, but God, I just pray that you would forgive their sins, and I pray anything that they might have done that be outside of your will. God, I just I pray that you would just cover them with your glory. And, and that's the kind of man Job was. And yet, here he is, having done nothing wrong, a blameless man, and here he is suffering greatly. Many people, actually I will say most people, suffer great loss at some point during their lives. Um, and man, it's so hard. It's incredibly difficult. And it weighs on you. And it seems like some days, I, I can tell you from my own experience, that it's, it's like some days you wake up and it's like it just happened yesterday. It's like, man, I, I feel like I'm back at square one when it comes to dealing with this pain and this sorrow, this loss. And here he lost all of his kids all at one time. And here he's getting all this news. And the first thing he does is to fall down on his face and worship. Where, can you even imagine? I mean, when you talk about no matter what, when you say no matter what, this guy exemplifies no matter what. I mean, he is sitting there having endured all this loss. He's got these people one after another after another after another coming up and telling him how he has suffered another loss. He has suffered another blow. He didn't do anything wrong, and yet he is suffering after suffering after suffering. It's like somebody's taken a knife, stuck it in, and they continue to twist it 
every single time somebody else comes up to tell him about some other loss that he has suffered on this one day. And his no matter what response is to worship the Lord. To worship the Lord. Man, I wish I could say that I was as good as Job. <laughs> I wish I could say that that's my immediate response as I just get down and worship the Lord. It's not my first reaction usually. My first reaction, if I'm totally transparent, is I'm usually angry to begin with. Frustrated. Why did this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why didn't this happen to them and not me? I mean, I know that we say that in the back of our mind and we don't want to ever say that out loud. You know, we, 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 we even get jealous of people that haven't, haven't suffered, you know. What a terrible place to be, but the reality of the human response is just that way. But here, we've got a man who is blameless, and you know what he does? He, he falls down to worship the Lord. This is a recognition of who God is. I think, I think the whole point of the story of Job is that to say that, that somebody has the patience of Job, I think really that's a misnomer. That's just not the right name for it. I, I think that really it's the faith of Job is what you really should be saying. Somebody who has the faith of Job. Somebody who never doubts God. Never doubts that God is in control. Because the first thing that he does is acknowledge that God is in control. He says, you know what? God has blessed me. And God has decided to take this away. But he's still God. He's still God. Now, to be honest with you... I have a difficult time when people, they don't know Jesus, and like I go to try to console them if they've lost somebody that they love, because I don't know what to tell them, you know? Like they have, they have no foundation. Jesus is not the foundation, and, and all I can do, I can tell them about Jesus, but if they don't understand Jesus, then they don't, they don't understand comfort. They don't understand hope. They don't understand peace. They don't understand these things if, if Jesus is not the foundation, and and. and I, I, it was told so many times to us when we suffered great loss through our daughter that, that, man, I don't know how somebody does this without a church family. And yes, that's true, but I don't understand how somebody endures something like that without Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church, and therefore the church is built on, on Jesus. And, but really, the foundation is truly Jesus. How does somebody endure great loss apart from Jesus? I don't, I don't even know what to say. We say things to them like, you know what, I mean, and you have to be very careful about how you approach this. If somebody doesn't know Jesus, you're trying to console them in their loss, and you say, you know what, God's in control. God has a plan. I know you don't understand, but God has a plan. You have to be very careful with those words of somebody that doesn't know Jesus. You would be much better off by saying, you know what, I know you're hurting right now, but there is a God in heaven who sees your tears. There's a God in heaven who cares about what's going on in your life right now. I know that you may not know who he is. I know that you may have never heard of him before. Or maybe you've heard of him and, and even turned your back on him. But, but I promise you that he cares. Because he cared about me. And I have suffered great loss too. But I can tell you this, that I know this, that God loves me. He cares about me. And when I shed tears, he feels the pain. That's the best way to really approach somebody that doesn't know Jesus is to let them know exactly what I said in the welcome just a few minutes ago, that their life is important, that they are important to God, that their tears are important to God, which we've covered many times in here. That is really the best way to approach somebody who's suffering 
to help them see that God cares about them and cares about their loss and cares about their heartache. And that is a perfect segue into the gospel of Jesus Christ. God cares so much about your pain. He cares so much about your hurting that he wanted to defeat death, hell, and the grave. That he had a desire for you to have a relationship with him and that he would give you peace that surpasses understanding, that you would not be afraid of death. That the death would have no sting in your life. And he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. See how that leads perfectly into the gospel of Jesus? He wanted to take away the sting of death because he knows that it hurts so bad. So he did that through the person of Jesus Christ. And that we don't have to be afraid of death anymore if we have a personal relationship with him. Here we see Job recognizing the complete control that God has. He falls down on his face and starts worshiping God and cries out verbally to God. What a beautiful picture of worship when he cries out verbally to God. I can imagine there's probably people around him. There's at least probably four messengers there. And they're watching Job's response. They're watching to see how Job responds to this tremendous loss that he has just suffered. What does he do? He falls down and he worships. What a testimony. You want your light to so shine before men? You, you want your good deeds to, to be evident before men? That it glorifies your Father in heaven? You, you worship while you suffer great loss. And I promise you that will speak volumes about the God that you serve. It, it will scream. It will scream God's love. When they see somebody suffer great loss and yet at the same time worship the one true God and say that he is in control and I'm still going to worship him because he is worthy of my praise and of my worship. That testimony is one that will speak louder than any that you will ever voice with your mouth. He goes on in, in, in Job chapter 2, he, he faces a second test. Satan goes to God and says, all right, fine. He's a good guy. I get it. All right. Whatever. He said, but, but Satan says this. In verse 4 of chapter 2, it says, Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, skin, for skin a man will give up everything he has to save his life, but reach out and take away his health, and he will curse you to your face. He is saying, you know what? If you take away his health, he may have lost everything else, and he may have fell down and worshiped you, but if you take away his health, I promise you, he's going to curse you to your face. Now, once again, what does this mean to curse him to his face? You know what the, the worst way you can curse God? Do you understand what that is? Do you know how you can curse God? Is to say that he's not God. That's, that's how you deny God. That's how you deny the Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact. The only unforgivable sin that exists in God's word is to continually deny the Holy Spirit. I've had people come up to me before and say, man, I've rejected God in my life if I committed the unforgivable sin. Well, the truth is, unless you continue to reject the truth of God, if you continue to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which is to reject the Holy Spirit as he is trying to impress upon your heart your need for Jesus Christ, unless you continually reject that truth, then you have not committed the unforgivable sin. It's a continual process. So here we have a situation where Satan is saying, you know what? He is going to curse you, and to curse you means that he's going to deny the fact that you are God. Because what is the thing that he did when he fell down? He said, he said, you know what? 
God, you're in control. You're still God. I have lost greatly, but you are still God. All right. Do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and struck Job with a terrible Ter- which struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. So Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery and sat among, the a- sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Thank you, wife. Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. So his wife is even, uh, is even pushing him, saying, you know what? Why don't you just say that, 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 that God is not God? Why don't you say that he's not really truly in control? Why don't you just get away from this and say, you know what? You're not God after all. If you were God after all, you wouldn't allow this stuff into my life. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, he's God, but only if good stuff happens? That can't be true. If he's God and he's in control, he's got to be in control of everything, right? Not just the good stuff. Sometimes people have this perspective of God, right? God's in control, but he would never do anything bad to anybody. He would never let anything bad happen. That's not a right picture of God. It's certainly not what God's word says. It's not how God is defined in his own very words. I mean, we have to believe God is who he says he is. We can't just believe part of the truth, which is what people tend to have a, have a desire to do. This idea that, you know what, um, God is here to bless me and make me wealthy and healthy and rich. And, and like, I just, like, that's, that's the part of God that I love. But you know what, every single time something bad happens in my life, that's the old devil trying to get me down. That's not how God's word shows God to be. It shows God casting his own chosen people into exile just so they'll recognize their sin so that they'll come running back to God. So that they'll suffer greatly. For generations suffer greatly. They'll be in captivity. They'll be under control of other people and have to suffer greatly at the hands of others just so they'll, keep, they'll come running back to God. You know what God desires most? It's a relationship with us. And I believe wholeheartedly that he'll do anything and everything to get us to recognize that what we need most is a relationship with him. And I, I, I'm thankful that God's that way. I'm thankful that he allows bad stuff to come in so that I will have a greater need and dependence on him. One of the things that I have a conversation with, with lots of Christian friends about is, is many times we'll endure hard times, suffering, troubles, trials, whatever you want to call them. And we're like, you know what? I know it seems bad, and man, it sure does suck sometimes, but, but you know what? The reality is, man, it's, it's drawing me closer to God as a result. I have a greater dependence on Him as a result of what I've suffered. And, and there have even been times in my life that sounds crazy where where things are going pretty good, and I, I say, man, I feel like I'm distant from, from God. Maybe he'll bring something into my life so I'll have a little bit of pain so that I'll be more dependent on him and a little closer to him, something that, that maybe I struggle with so that I'll have to fast for three days so that I can get close to him and have a greater desire to hear from him. You know, 
I mean, I, I know that sounds crazy, but, but if you look at the picture of what God says about, about himself, man, that's how we draw from the Holy Spirit is to lean into him when we are suffering greatly. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Here, I think, I think Job is recognizing, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's good or it's bad. It comes from God. And because it comes from God, it's good. It's good. His wife says, no, man, this can't be God. He says, no, it's God. Good and bad, it's all from God. So he's got three idiots to come and talk to him for a little while. <laughs> I'm just going to read this to you real quick um, because I think this is important. Uh, this may or may not be up on the screen. It's, it's the last part of uh, Job chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names, was El their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Nathamite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust over their heads to show their grief. This is where it gets really cool. I think this is maybe one of my favorite verses in Job right here. Because people often ask me, they say, well, how do I console somebody that's hurting? This particular situation, Job is sitting on an ash pile. He's scraping his boils that he has on his body from head to foot. He, he, is, he is mourning. He is in a condition of mourning because he recognizes that in order to be close to God, he has to put himself in this place of, man, I am suffering, I am hurting, and I'm going to be in a state of mourning in order to draw close to God. And here, these three friends, they hear about Job's situation, and they come from their homes, and they travel to go and find, um, to find Job, and they see him from a distance. They see how bad off he is, they can barely recognize him. The boils are so bad all over his body that they can barely recognize him. It says in verse 13, listen to this. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. People ask me all the time, man, I don't know what to do for somebody that's hurting. I, they've just lost somebody. They're, maybe they're struggling physically. You know, sometimes... You know what you need to do? Just be there. Just be there. Sometimes you don't have to have any words at all. Job's three friends, for seven days, they just sat there and didn't say anything. You talk about awkward silence. I mean, like, that's incredible, you know? They just got down there. Beside, I mean, so think about the condition that he's in. He's got boils all over his skin. If you see somebody with boils all over their skin, you going to go up and hug them and, and sit down right beside them? Probably not. I mean, you're probably going to get out the hand sanitizer. You know, you're like, hey, what's going on, Job? It's good to see you, buddy. You doing okay? Yeah, you know. They're probably going to stand at a distance, not these guys. They see that he's suffering. What do they do? They go sit down beside him, sit down on the ground where he is. They get down to his level. Oh, what a beautiful picture that is, you know. Uh, sometimes people just need to know that you care, and sometimes all you have to do is sit there with them. Uh, that, that's why a lot of times you'll see family members in the hospital with their loved ones and they just sit there. You're like, what good are you doing? I just sit there. They just, that's what they're doing. They're just showing their compassion and they're, 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 they're struggling alongside of that loved one just by staying there with them. That, that's their way of struggling alongside the one that they love is just being there. It's just being there. 
if you don't know what to do with somebody who's struggling, they're hurting, just go and be with them. Just go and be with them. So I'm going to skip ahead to Job chapter 13 because his friends give him some terrible advice uh, about why it is that he's suffering. They give him some poor theology. Well, it must be the result of something you've done. You must be suffering as a result of X, Y, and Z. You, you must, you, you've got to repent. You've got to turn away from whatever evil that you've done so that God will heal you and make you better and everything will be okay again. You just, you, you, need, to, you need to figure it out, Job. You need to examine yourself and figure out what's going on and why it is that you're suffering greatly because God is, I mean, he's put this on you because you've done something bad. We got bad theology here. Not every time do you suffer in your life is because you did something wrong. You got sin in your life or you've done something to reject God. You've done something to discount God. Now, sometimes that is the case so that God will draw you back to Him, but sometimes you just suffer because we live in a world that's full of suffering. As a matter of fact, God came to the earth because we live in a world full of suffering. He sent His one and only Son to die a death that we all deserve to die to do away with that suffering for all of eternity. Job's friends give him some bad advice. They have a little Bible session with him, and it turns out that their, their Bible uh, knowledge is not very good. So Job says, you know what? You guys are full of it. You don't know what you're talking about. He says, look. I have seen all this with my own eyes. I have heard it with my own ears, and now I understand. I know as much as you do. You are no better than I am. He looks at him and says, you know what? If my sin is what's causing this, then you guys should have boils on your skin too. Because you ain't no different than I am. You got stuff in your life too. As for me, I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. Now, we're gonna, well, let me read, and then we'll get back to that. As for you, you smear me with lies. As physicians, you are worthless quacks. That's, that's good in the NLT, isn't it? I like that. If only you could be silent. He says, shut up, guys. That's the wisest thing you could do. Listen to my charge. Pay attention to my arguments. Are you defending God with lies? Do you make your dishonest arguments for his sake? Will you slant your testimony in his favor? Will you argue God's case for him? What will happen if he finds out what you are doing? Can you fool him as easily as you fool people? No. You will be in trouble with him if you secretly slant your testimony in his favor. Doesn't his majesty terrify you? Doesn't he, the, your fear of him overwhelm you? Your platitudes are as valuable as ashes. Your defense is as fragile as a clay pot. Be silent now and leave me alone. Let me speak and I will face the consequences. Why should I put myself in mortal danger and take my life in my own hands? This is what he says. And this is where we're going to stop. God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I'm going to argue my case with him. So we're actually going to stop right there in the book of Job. Because you know what? Once you get to this point, really it doesn't even matter what else happens. Because the answer is already there. He looks at his friends. He says, your theology's poor. You don't understand God. You're trying to twist God's word. You're trying to twist the truth of God to make it fit whatever is going to make sense to you in your mind. And he says, that's not going to cut it. 
He says, instead of listening to you, I'm going to take my case straight to God. Do you know what he is really saying when he says that? If you are suffering greatly and you acknowledge that God is in control, what is he saying when he says, I'm going to take my case to God? He's reaffirming the fact that he already knows that God is in control. He knows that God sees everything in his life, regardless of what these men may have said, regardless of what the world has told him. He says, you know what? God knows me. God knows who I am. God knows what I have done. I know you, you fools, and you guys don't even know what you're talking about. I'm going to take it to the one who has the answer. I'm going to take my case to him and see what he has to say. We would be wise to learn from Job. You know what, you know what the message of Job is? God's in control. You know what the testimony of Job is? Job knows that God's in control. In your life, you suffer greatly. Maybe you've got hardships and you've got all kinds of bad junk happening. Maybe it's physical, like Job suffered physically. Maybe it's emotional because you have suffered great loss. Maybe you've got some friends that have given you some foolish advice. I don't know what the case may be, but you know what? That adds injury, injury to insult as well, insult to injury as well, because he, he has got... On top of all of his suffering, he's got these friends. They love him, and they want to come and sit with him, but at the same time, they give him bad advice. I've had friends like that before. When you suffer, when you struggle, when things are bad in your life, what's your answer to that? What's your response? Is your response to go to God or to go away from God? Is your response to believe in God more or to believe in God less? What is your response? You know, as we um, got to know lots of families in the hospital with kids that had cancer, and we saw lots of things, man. We saw people that got really close to God as a result of their kid having cancer. And then we saw some people that maybe their kid passed away, and they wanted to have nothing to do with God. Well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. You ask yourself this question. How deep is your faith if it's all dependent upon a yes or a no answer from God? See, real faith means that you believe God is who he says he is, and you believe that he is completely in control, and you say, I still believe God, and I still love God, and I'm still close to God, whether he says yes or whether he says no. Job asked a question. He said, he said I'm going to take my case to the Lord. He said, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. I will trust in him. Even if I die. In some of the versions, it says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. It's actually the name of a song, though he slay me. My question to you is this. You're hurting, you're pain, you're suffering. How is it you respond to it? Is the first response you have to worship the Lord? Is the re first response you have to say, God, I believe that you're God. I know that you're in control. I have no doubts about you. Or do you say to God, man, I wonder if you even know that I'm here. I even wonder if you're in control sometimes. How could you allow this to happen? We ask all these questions. You know that, that there's, there's, um, there, there's a test 
There's a test, right? And it's all dependent upon how you respond to that test. Whether you run to God or away from God. You know, we, we, we talk all the time about people will say, well, God will not put more on you than you can handle. Well, that's not true. God puts more on you than you can handle. He says that he will not test you beyond what you can stand, what you can bear. And what that really means is he's gonna, he, there are times when you're going to question the reality of God. But you always have the capability to believe that God is who he says he is. You've got that choice. That test is not too much for you to bear. You've always got the ability to say, you know what? God is in complete control. God has every single thing in the palm of his hand. And no matter what, no matter what, I will hope in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. God, I know there are hurting people in here. Maybe some of them are hurting physically. Maybe some people are hurting because of loss. Lord, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know every heart that's in this place. But God, I'm so thankful that you do. God, you put this particular word on my heart for the person that needed to hear it. And I'm thankful for that. There's still some people in here that maybe they don't know you, Lord. Maybe they're still questioning not whether or not you're God. And maybe they're trying to figure out what does it really mean to have a relationship with you. Well, Lord, today I pray that maybe they have just had their eyes opened. Maybe they looked at their suffering in a fresh new light and they said, you know what? He is God and he is in control. And he, he, he loved me so much that he sent his one and only son for me and for my soul so that death would have no sting. God, maybe somebody in here is in that place. God, I pray that you would rescue them. God, I pray for that hurting Christian, the person that follows Jesus, but man, they're hurting and sometimes they forget just how in control you are. Maybe sometimes they've even questioned whether or not you're really God or not. Well, Lord, I pray that today you've just reminded them of the fact that your sovereign hand, God, there's nothing that escapes, escapes you, God. It all flows through your hand. Lord, I just pray that today you might rescue somebody. God, rescue them from their sin, maybe eternally, or, or maybe rescue somebody today from their doubts and their thoughts that, God, you don't love them, or that you don't care about them, or you don't know who they are, God, that you're not in control. Lord, I pray that you would just rescue somebody today. God, do in hearts what only you can do. And we'll give you praise. We'll fall down and we'll worship you for who you are. Maybe somebody today just wants to fall down on their face before you and say, God, I'm just going to worship you. Whether my life is good, bad, or ugly, I'm just going to worship you. God, I just pray that you would speak to hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.